this is Jake Kramer, son of Bernardus Jr. and grandson of Bernardus Sr. Welcome to episode three of The House That Built Us, the story of a Dutch boy who lived the American dream. In this episode, we discuss Opa's early American journey, his path from New York to Austin. A special thanks for the original music written and recorded by Bernardus at bernardusmusic.com. Enjoy. Okay, Oma, you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Jake. Hey, hey, and Uncle Paul's there too. Yeah. Hello. All right. Nice to be back with you. Yeah. Um, okay, awesome. So, yeah, where we left off was uh, Opa is down in Magnolia, Arkansas. So, um, tell me about. So, I, I I think you had mentioned that he he didn't last there long. Um, and and this is approximately what year is this when? When Opa is down in Magnolia? Oh, you would ask me the year. Probably around maybe 1952, maybe. 52, okay. Like so this uh, is uh, nine years before um, before uh, Bernardus Josephus Kramer Jr. is born. Yes, yes. Well, he, he finished up the semester at Magnolia and was never happy there. But the one thing that it did help him with was learning English. And I think I told you last time that he took all of his notes in Dutch and went home every night and translated them into English so yeah. that he would be able to recognize things on test and be able to uh, continue from there. Well, at the end of the semester, uh, it was getting really, really hot in Arkansas. And all he had with him were very heavy wool clothes from the Netherlands. And I still have some of those. So you guys know how heavy that coat is that you all have played with. Um, and so he just he asked some people where he could go, where it would be cooler, and he could get a job for the summer. And they kids directed him to um, Estes Park in Colorado, side of Boulder. But to get there, he had to hitchhike. So he started hitchhiking across Arkansas. And at that very time, there was a serial killer on the loose. <laughs> and this guy had terrorized everybody. And they, they had sent out messages to everyone, don't hitchhike. It's just so dangerous. But I don't, I don't know whether Ben knew it or not. It, it wouldn't have made any difference. He didn't have any choice. And he was hitchhiking, so he went off. But um, on one desolate little corner that he was where he was stranded. Um, he was checking out the wildflowers on the, on the edge of the road and picking them and looking at them very closely. They were new and different and he found them very interesting and a car came up behind him and looked at him for a few minutes and said, do you want to ride? And, and Ben said, yes, yes, where are you going? And he said, well, I'm, I'm going uh, to um, Little Rock. I think is where this guy was going. Anyway, Ben got in the car with him and he was some relative of the governor of Arkansas. And I, I think maybe a brother, but I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, um, he said to Ben, he said, boy, you're really taking a chance hitchhiking out on this road because there's a serial killer loose. And, oh and you're just you're just, uh, going, nobody's going to pick you up. And Ben said, well, why did you pick me up? And he said, because I didn't think a serial killer would be checking out the wildflowers. <laughs> but 
anyway, they talked and, and this guy found him to be very interesting and took him to the governor's house and he met the governor of Arkansas. And no I'm not. Yeah, yeah, really. And I'm not exactly sure what transpired. I've heard this story so many times, and, and but I'm not exactly sure of all the scenario. But they fed him, packed him up with food. And I think they gave him a um, ticket on a Greyhound bus that he could go ahead and use to get to Colorado. So he stopped because it wasn't safe to hitchhike. That's what they told him. And um, so he, you know, picked up charity along the way. He was fortunate to be foreign and there weren't a lot of foreign people in the country at that time. So I guess people took pity on him um, or, a lot. Or and that was fascinated good for him. by him, maybe. Yeah, fascinated by it, more than likely. And what so did, we got to Estes Park. What, what? Well, just real quick, what what did Opa do to earn money when when he first? Oh, everything. When he first, he did everything. Made it to he did every. Yes, he he even shot rats in um, in uh, green um, silos. One of his jobs was just spending the night in there shooting rats. He did everything possible. He had all kinds of jobs. But in this one, going to Estes Park, he got to the park and had no guarantee of getting a job because it was already late in spring and they, the park was open. So he got there and the only job left in the whole camp was um, driving a truck and picking up trash and then dumping the trash in, you know, in, the, in a dumpster somewhere wherever they were collecting it. And Ben said, I'll take it. And the guy said, um, yeah, you have a driver's license. Do you know how to drive? And, and Ben said, yes. And, and he didn't. He didn't know how to drive, and he didn't have a driver's license. <laughs> and so, he said, I'll learn, uh, huh? Yes, yes. But he didn't tell that guy he would learn. <laughs> he just accepted the job and went outside to the guy with the truck who was um, quitting, leaving, and supposed to send explain things to, to Ben and then leave him in charge of that particular job. So um, the guy took, I don't know how long, but made sure that he could do the truck. And you have to remember that the trucks in those days, um, you had to do a clutch and a, and a, and a um, gas pedal and a brake all at the same time. They, they were very tricky. They would roll on uh, hills if you didn't stop them just right. Yeah. They were, they would, um, gear shift was on the on the floor, you know, and it was very tricky to do this particular driving assignment. Those but he learned. Early, he did it. early 50s kind of flatbed pickups. Yeah. Is that kind of what we're envisioning? Yeah. Here? Yeah. Yeah. And he did run into the, the, the truck rolled once and ran into the um, back of one of the cabins. And uh, I don't know, did damage and they didn't fire him for it. They just went out and fixed it and said, yeah, that happens. It's, uh, you know, unfortunate. But he um, he did the um, trash pickup. And then in the evening, he would bring back wood. He didn't have to chop it. Somebody else was doing that. But he would fill the truck up with um, with wood and deliver it to all the cabins in the park. Um, and he did that for the whole summer and I I earned enough money that, you know, he could say what he needed to save and, and have a place to live and could eat. So 
at the end of that time, he, he still didn't know where he was going to go to school because he knew he didn't want to go back to Arkansas and he knew he had to go somewhere else. So um, he started talking to the other college kids that were working in the park. There were all kinds of jobs within that park that the kids did. And some of them, of course, were better than others. I guess Ben's was kind of bottom of the totem pole. But uh, he made a lot of friends while he was there that summer. And the kids all had a, a lot of, ta- a lot of um, fun working together in that camp. So the kids that were there that he liked the best were the kids from Texas. Um, they were extremely friendly. And he loved their accent. And they just kind of bonded. And they told him to quickly write and get a scholarship to the University of um, Texas. And they were sure that, that it would go through because Texas was wanting foreign students. They just hadn't been able to have any. The travel wasn't um, so that kids were coming to the U.S. by the hundreds. You know, they weren't. It was just kind of sparsely done. So he um, he did that. He wrote to the University of Texas, probably called them too, I don't know, but uh, telephone service was very expensive during that time. So I, I don't know exactly how he made contact. But Texas did accept him. And um, that's how he got there. He, he That was it. He stayed there for six years at the University of Texas and okay. did his... Um, Bachelor's and his master's. So from the Netherlands through New York down to Arkansas, a semester there to Estes, to Texas? Yes. Okay. That's his migration pattern. <laughs> right on. <laughs> uh, you have anything to add, Paul, that you know he's told stories about? Paul, is there a story? I am. I put myself on mute so I wouldn't be uh, noisy. Um, was there a story of the hitch- uh, hitchhiker that uh, tried to fondle him? <laughs> oh. I remember. And he hit him, hit him, and then got out of the car. Or am I making that up? Oh no, no, you're not making it up. It wasn't then, though. It wasn't in that scenario. Oh God. I, I really have to think about it because I that does sound familiar. Was that down in but California? I think that later. Uh, okay. Okay. I have to, well, I just. But it wasn't on that trip that I remember because it it was a good trip. So you got to to um, be introduced to the governor of Arkansas, and so that was kind of a good trip. Nothing that, that I don't think happened there. Wow. A lot of this is new too. Yeah. Okay, I'll think about it. Okay, so all right, so he's yeah, yeah. What else, Paul? Anything else? I know. (laughs) I'm enjoying the stories too. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. So from Arkansas to Estes, spends the summer there. Likes the Texas boys a lot. Uh, Heads down to Texas. So that would have been uh, what year would that have been? You think? Yeah, it's all 1952 or so. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And that's about when we met. Yeah. That's okay. around 1952. Okay. So 1952. Okay. So now I don't know how this works in, 
but while he was at the, the University of Texas, quite often he would go work for Phillips Petroleum Company in, in um, Oklahoma. And um, they offered him jobs. He could have stayed there forever if he'd wanted to do it. What he did was translate patents, oil patents, uh, from he could do English and he could do German and French and and um, and they and he was highly regarded because there weren't a lot of people who could translate oil leases in German on a sophisticated level and he could. So he, he did that quite often while he was going to school. And I, I don't know exactly the timeline. I just know that it did and that that could have been a, a permanent job. But he was bored with it. Sure. It, it, it was um, it, it, he just sat in an office all by himself all day all long, hour after hour after hour, translating German into English. And so it was not something that he prized. But to me, it was a gift. I, I thought it was a wonderful thing that he could do that. But also at the University of Texas, he had a numerous jobs. He worked at the theological seminary, um, doing whatever they wanted him to do, cleaning shelves and dusting books and sorting and putting books on the shelves and that kind of stuff, just whatever they wanted him to do. He did that a lot. He killed those rats. Uh, I don't know how often or when or how long he did it, but he did that, spending nights in those grain silos and shooting rats. Right. <laughs> that was always about the worst one. He oh. worked at the health service, um, just doing whatever they wanted him to do, you know, clean up and all kinds of things. He took any job he could get, no matter how um, demeaning it might be. He was not... Uh, he was not, he would do anything to earn money so he could stay there. He was extremely poor. Um, he had his scholarship money to pay for his classes, but as far as food and housing and that sort of thing. Oh, that was the story, Ben, Paul. He, that, he was in a co-op with some kids, with some male friends. Um, and it was an all, it's where he lived for a while. I don't know how long. It was satisfying to him. Uh, he, he liked the environment. It was cheap. And he could, um, he could live there comfortably. But in that place, one of those guys okay. tried to do something on him. And uh, he pushed him down a, a flight of stairs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So... Um, that little story, I don't remember if he left after that or, or if he stayed there, but he lived many places, but that was the one that he talks about the most because it was a, it was a house and they called it a co-op. Everybody had their job and had to cooperate with each other in order to stay there. So he was there a lot. But the thing that kind of saved him more than anything else at the University of Texas was the woman in charge of the health service, or was it food service? It was health service, um, was an elderly woman. I, oh, I, I don't know how elderly. I would have, if she'd been 50, I would have thought she was elderly. But um, she was mature. 
in charge of the health service. And she took a liking to him. Uh, he was working there for a while. And he was just, he would do anything anybody asked him to do. And she loved talking to him because everybody always did. He always had such wonderful stories to tell. Um, she just, she just really, really took him, mothered him, took him under her wing, I guess. And she used to give him extra food and extra money and everything else uh, to help him along. She wasn't wealthy, but... Um, she had more than he did, so she would share with him. But when we got married, he took me back to meet her. That's how fond he was of her. And we stayed at their house uh, several times when we would go back to, uh, anytime we would go back to visit the university, that's where we would stay, was, was with her. She lived with a companion, uh, a woman that, uh, I forgot what the woman did. She worked for another health service of some kind or whatever, but they were gay. And in those days, that was shockingly, um, it was just people never admitted it, said anything about it, or or um, broadcast it in any way because you could lose your job. Interesting. So, yeah, so he met both of the ladies, and I did too. They were delightful. I loved visiting them. They lived in a, a beautiful old um, uh, Victorian house with lots of antiques and stuff in it. It was it was just so fun to go visit them. And he just befriended them, and and what he just befriended them, and and they were just kind of friends. Well, she befriended him. Mm. She took him. She began to mother him. You know, think of him as a son. She had never married. She had no children of her own. Um, in fact, I don't think she had very many relatives of her own. And then she and this other woman had had shared this house for quite a long time. I don't know how long they'd been together, but they never talked about uh, their relationship. But Ben and I knew. Sure. Um, and it was they were wonderful. But they got she got him through the university. OK, and there was, there was absolutely doubt about it. Okay, so I, I just want to back up here, and make sure I have the the timeline in order here. So he, he comes to he comes to University of Texas, and in in the OPA fashion, he just starts doing any job he can to earn money uh, to pay his to pay his way. So he, he he arrives at at the University of Texas at Austin, and he immediately enrolls just his his four year degree. What does he what does he enroll in? What are some of the classes he starts to take? Um, what's his education kind of start? Well, he was always in history. He always wanted to major in American history. He just found it so fascinating. And uh, and people thought it was an anomaly because he knew world history and American history was a challenge to him because he 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 was so uh, well versed in geography and and world history, European history, and all that kind of stuff. You would think that that would be the easy route for him, but that's not what he chose. He chose American history. Um, he wanted more of a challenge, and just ate it up. He loved it. His professors loved him. They they made him teaching assistants and and everything else all along the way. And um, okay. And then you know when it came time for him to do his master's, you know what he did. 
So he's, he, he, he studies American history, um, graduates with a four-year degree in that. And, and, and in the meantime, this is what he's doing. He's meeting people. He's, he's doing odd jobs. He's, uh, he's earning a living. He's, he's making friends and acquaintances. Um, does he do anything else at the university other than just go to school, work? Is he involved in anything else? Does he have anything else? He played of? soccer. Okay. He played soccer. Tell me a little bit and about he really, that. Um, he, I don't know anything about it. He just loved playing soccer, and so he did. He was on the team for a while, but soccer was not uh, a principal sport in those days. You know, it was still basketball and football was the was the ones that were the most popular. He just did it for exercise because he really liked it. I don't think he made a whole lot of friends while he was there, except with his instructors. He had he had a relationship with one of his um, instructors for years. They wrote back and forth after we got married. We had letters from them. Um, but the important thing there was that when it came time for him to do his master's, he knew that he wanted to do it on the railroads, the American American railroads, and he finally figured out that what he would target on was um, Dutch investment, Dutch, Dutch investment in American railroads in the building of the West, and um, that just fascinated him no end. So he, when he left, um, when he finished, graduated after his four years, he went to Holland and spent six months or so there in Holland, working on getting research for um, the thesis that he would later write on uh, the railroads. And he worked, he went to a bank and asked them if they would, if they would allow him to have access to their archives. This and is in so, Holland? Yeah, in Holland. Okay. So every day for, gosh, I, I guess probably about six months, he went to one of the banks and they set him up with a little room way back somewhere <laughs> with all the books and files and everything <laughs> that was there. And he went every single day and spent hour after hour after hour going through all of the records that he could find that had to do with investing money in the United States Railroad. OK, hold on. I'm going to I'm going to back up a little, ask a couple more questions. So he, he graduates with a four-year degree in American history at UT. Um, he, he decides he wants to continue his education and get his master's in American history? Yep. Okay. So to do that, he... No, but it's specific. It was specific. It, what, his master's is not in American history. His master's in is in Dutch investment in the... American Railroad and the and the uh, building of the the opening up of the West. It, the railroads opened the country from one side to another. And that was the first time people could travel from east to west when the railroad hey, went through. Yeah. Hey, Mom, could it be that uh, the his his uh, thesis project for his masters was that um, Dutch influence in American railroads? And he, and, he, and he had a master's in something else. Was it, was it specific to the railroads? You know, I never looked at it. Paul Ben has it. I don't know what it says on it. He has both of his Ben has uh, both of his degrees somewhere hanging up. 
Okay. I, guess I, think maybe, I guess it might. It surely, well, just logically, it must be probably American history. Sure. Yeah. Well, maybe another call we'll get we'll get dad on and and he can clear that up but yeah i'll i'll see about that okay so he he's he's in holland he's he's researching this thesis because he's fascinated in in uh in locomotives and, and the dutch influence in the american railroad system um he he, he goes back to holland he's with his family i'm guessing back there yes he's living with his mother in fact when he left he owed his mother a bunch of money um because he he didn't make any money while he was there he just lived off them his mom and his two sisters and how how are they about all this like how i mean he he's the only one who, who goes across the world for adventure for for education for a new life he comes back after four and a half years five years later how are they feeling about this? Did, did you did he ever talk to you about, you know? Oh, they were so proud of him. They loved him so much. His mother just adored him. He was the uh, only one in the family that went off as to have an adventure. Uh, the rest stuck right to home and did what their dad told them to do. They became public servants and stuff where they could be guaranteed jobs for their whole life. But um, Ben didn't want to do that. He, he wanted to do something different and he wanted to see the world. And um, how, do, how do you think his siblings felt about uh, a, a lot of that? I mean, I, I guess, did he ever talk about that? Did he ever talk about? Well, I um, met him all. Well, I sure. met him all. So they all were so proud of him. They would take him around to their friends and introduce him when we were there. And the fact that he had an American wife, they really liked that idea <laughs> more than they liked me, I think. But they liked the idea of me being an American. Well, I he got, got the best American you know, wife, didn't he? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got it introduced everywhere and with pride. And, but but, um, but, this, but you're not in the story yet, right? This is yeah, I'm you. not in the story. But what you asked me was, how did his family feel about it? I never saw any jealousy. All I saw was absolute pride. And Mary and Willie really helped him a lot. That, they paid for him for that six months. And then uh, later, after we were married, we paid them back. Um, but that was that it was all they were poor. Everybody was poor. That was not long after the war. And, and Holland was devastated during the Second World War. So they, they had a slow comeback. And they, they both had jobs, Willie and Mary. Mother didn't. Um, she had a very small pension from uh, her dad's, from her husband's work, you know, Ben's dad when he died. But um, they always rented their houses. They never owned one. And um, it was a struggle, I'm sure, to have him there. But they were really proud of him. Mm-hmm. And it, it was he had a, um, an emotional support system from everyone the entire time. I never saw any jealousy or, or nobody ever said anything about why would you go there? What were you doing? You know, he was just so successful with what he was doing. He didn't have any money. But goodness sakes, to be able to go into a bank every single day for six months and not be employed, yeah. <laughs> that in itself was quite a compliment to what he was doing. They did back him. Sure. Even the Dutch government backed him. So, so 
Hey mom. Yeah. Was was uh, this the time when there was a professor uh, in the Netherlands when he left in the early fifties? Yes. That told him. Go ahead. You you tell it. Well, you, you know. <laughs> okay. You know the best, but. Well, uh, ben always went to Catholic schools. Um. And when it came time for him to want to go to the United States, he had to go to these Catholic schools and ask for school records. And this one brother uh, was so insulting to him, Dutch brother, uh, that had been one of his teachers. And he said to him, um, Catholic yeah, brother, right? Not, not familiar brother. Uh, uh, Catholic church brother. Right. Um, the, the, the teachers were called brothers not priests or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, an order that were uh, they were teaching people and they were called brothers. So his brother that he had had as a teacher said to him, yeah, I'll give you your records and I'll see you back here with your tail between your legs. He said, you'll never make it. You don't have what it takes. And um, what was that the quote or was it am I off? What was the quote, Paul? Yeah, I believe that was uh yeah, he was he was very insulting. Yeah. And uh really charged dad up to to make it. Yeah. And uh dad walked out of there that day and he thought to himself, I, I I'm I'm going to come back and you're gonna eat your words, is what he thought to himself as he walked out the door that day. Um but anyway, that, that was part of a challenge. He never forgot that. And as soon as he was able, after his, in fact, I think it was more than likely after we were married, we saw that guy on a train one day. And Paul had, it was a major shock to him, major shock to him. Um, And Paul and Ben went up to say hello and that, he was, you know, he had been one of his teachers and he was Ben Kramer and so on, so on. And the guy didn't remember him at all. Wow. It, it wouldn't have done any good. To rub it in his face? <laughs> yes, rub it in his face because he just didn't remember it. Well, that probably worked but, out. Probably worked out better, yeah, right, I guess. <laughs> yeah, probably did. But Ben I, I remember didn't it. like to rub his nose in. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it that he uh, that he went to go look for him and it, that he had passed away. Is that wrong? No, you're right. He that is true. That guy, you're absolutely right on. It was another guy we saw on the train that he wanted to go talk to and discuss stuff with, and the guy didn't remember him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Paul, you're right. He did go back to find him, went back to the school, asked about him, and found out that he had passed away. Yeah, you're right. Wow. I think my story was better, though. Yeah, we'll stick. <laughs> when, when, this come, when this turns into a movie, we'll stick with Omar's, Omar's story yeah, there. The okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs>